The tribal nature of a music scene can be paralyzing and discouraging. Of course, we all know how cliquey music can be since high school, where adolescent subgroups were often determined based on types of music. It all came with a dress code, a code of conduct, and if, if you were into one kind of music but also into its polar opposite, it would be akin to social suicide. If one was lucky, you'd grow, grow out of that stupidity and eventually enjoy the freedom of being into all kinds of music. Sadly, I think most never grew out of that silly high school outlook when it comes to music. I still get a snide comment about my love for hard rock and heavy metal from some of my square friends, but these days it's hard to feel the sting since the music has been good to me. However, when I graduated high school, I found a lot of those people ended up in the music biz where the same rules of high school often applied, where liking one kind of music or band would throw your credibility into question. But this time, being in the real world meant a lot more was at stake. In our local Toronto scene, I was a fan for years long before I was even in a band. I loved going to shows, meeting the bands in the city. I wanted to be part of the scene and support these guys. But when my band started to get some traction outside of our local scene, the same people who were so receptive of me being a fan of their band had no problem showing me their disdain for mine. I'm not sure what lesson I was supposed to learn by this experience, but after many encounters with local musicians in Toronto and their sudden dislike for me because of our band's success, I now walk very trepidatiously around musicians and bands wherever I go. I still do to this day. I don't think we are a community. I think we are tribes unto ourselves, ready to bite each other's jealous heads off. That is why the nicest people I've met in bands are almost always the most successful ones. You'd think it would be the opposite, but it usually isn't. It's because they don't have anything to prove anymore. They can simply sit back and enjoy music. I can't say that, that I'm there yet, but I want to get there too. When we're on tour, it takes me more than a week to warm up to a fellow touring band, and even then it's with extreme caution. I've been burned too many times for being a little too gregarious, and quite frankly, I don't need the petty drama. So, see the world through my eyes. Being cautious, I tend to come off as distant, and that's accurate. However, when I sense another member of my tribe, no matter where they reside or what band they play in, I slowly let my guard down. It doesn't happen often, but one has an innate sense of the same cloth and the knife used to cut it. As the lead guitarist in the Tom Kiefer Band and singer-guitarist in his own superb East Side Gamblers Band and his Moonlighting in Damon Johnson's Band, Tony Higby is a rocker in the truest sense of the word, an honest-to-goodness lover of music, and that's really my definition of a rocker. The proof is in this episode. This episode kind of confirmed a sense of kinship. I love talking to people who show a genuine love and respect for music, hard rock in particular. I always walk away from these chats inspired, invigorated, and frothing at the mouth to listen to music. Sometimes being in this biz can grind you down to the point where you start to nurture a dislike for music. I've seen it too many times in other people, and to be honest, I can't fault them. For me, hearing people like Tony talk about music can act as the jumpstart boost I need to a fading battery. 
Tony released the Big Machine EP last year with his band, The East Side Gamblers, produced by the one and only Nick Raskalinix. It was not only a tight-fisted rock wallop, but also showcased Tony front and center, anchoring the band and proving that a fanatical love of music can act as an effective contagion to a life on stage. Now, on the eve of the release for Tom Kiefer's second album, entitled Rise, I'm glad I caught up with Tony just before his life was about to get super busy again. This is just a chat between a couple of people who love music so much they had to play it too. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode with Tony Higby. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on either iTunes or Spotify or both. This is episode number 201. And after eight years, I still genuinely enjoy doing this podcast. And it's because of episodes like this one. Okay, Tony Higby is this episode's guest on the Danko Jones podcast. And it starts... Now. The Tango Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flynn, I get his Tango screw up. Tell him for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fuck Town. Stop playing Hang Town. Down. Hey, it's the Tango Jones podcast. You can check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud, right? Gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Now. Hello, what's up, Danko? So, so two nights ago, we messaged each other, and you were you were not home. You were where in Indianapolis or something? I was. Uh, wasn't even Indianapolis. It was a little town, a fairly small town in the middle of Indiana. Oh, Indiana. Um, okay. But uh, in the state. But hey, I was out uh, gigging with Damon. Damon so. Johnson. Yes. Yes. Who has been on this podcast before. He just put out a solo album. Yeah. Now, what are those gigs like? Is it you, just you and Damon? Uh, No, dude. It's a full band. Oh, okay. So it's uh, me and Damon and a uh, bass player named Tony Nagy. And the drummer is Jared Pope, who actually also plays with me in the Tom Kiefer band. I see. Okay, so so I guess Damon kind of poached half of Tom's band for this. Eh, you know what? Kind of yes and no. It's funny. I actually, Damon, Damon poached me um, a couple years ago, so to speak. I do a I do an annual cancer fundraiser called Kimokazi. All uh, right, a fair semi annual as, as, as annual as I can make it, depending on my schedule. Right. Um, and it's kind of my payback thing because uh, I had cancer uh, 12 years ago. I had lymphoma and I went through the whole thing and did, you know, uh, did chemotherapy and, you know, uh, and beat it. And I'm still here, but a lot of people went out of their way to help me when I was going through that. And, uh, you know, that help is probably what kept me from losing my house and having to go bankrupt and all kinds of stuff because, you know, healthcare is just, even with insurance, it's not affordable. And uh, especially when it's a, you know, something that, that severe. So, you know, I, I try to do this thing to give back and, you know, sadly, the older we get, you know, we 
cancer affects all of us more and more, whether it's directly or indirectly with friends and family. So, you know, what we'll generally do is find a, uh, you know, it, there'll be a person that usually tends to show up out of nowhere in our lives that, oh my God, this person has cancer. They need help. They need this, they need that. And so we'll do this fundraiser. We just have kind of an all-star jam, you know, auction off a bunch of stuff too. And then, uh, you know, give all the proceeds of that to, to, uh, somebody who's close to us to help them with their struggle with cancer. And, um, Damon came out and played at one of those with my band with Eastside gamblers and did a few tunes and uh, the gamblers are usually the house band kind of for it. And he came out and played with us and then hit me up and asked me when I had time, if I would come and play with him. And I, I said, absolutely. Cause I love Damon. I love, I love the music. You know, I love the old brother Kane stuff. I love his solo stuff. I mean, I, I dig every project he's ever been in. I mean, who doesn't want an excuse to go out and play thin Lizzy tunes, you know? So, so I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely do that. So I did that, but his drummer, Jared, uh, he had been playing with him off and on for years on a couple of different projects. And Jared's from Bakersfield, California, originally, but he lives here now. And our drummer in the Kiefer band left. Um, he just decided he was ready to get off the road. He'd been doing it for years. I mean, he'd been with everybody from uh, Reverend Horton Heat for like nine years to like Petra. I mean, he had been everywhere. Wow. And uh, he was just he was just over it. He was just tired and he was done. And you get it. I mean, it's a lot of work. So yeah. uh, Jared actually uh, came and auditioned for the Kiefer gig and got it, just knocked it out of the park. So me and Jared both played for Tom, but we played for Damon, you know, when we're not busy doing stuff with Tom. And luckily this year we've been working on a new record with Tom. So it's freed us up to be able to, uh, you know, as far as not being on the road, it's freed us up to be able to go out and do this other stuff with Damon. And we played on his new record and it, you know, it's just been great. So. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, Okay, so you said a lot in that last uh, uh, answer there. So let's let's backtrack here. That first of all, that the the Kimu uh fundraiser that you do, I didn't know about that. That's well, amazing. It sounds incredible. It's uh, it's it's always a it's a ton of work. It's a level of stress that I don't experience any other time of year. Just trying to get it all together and coordinated, but. The payoff of being able to help somebody out like that at the end and just the look on their face and just, you know, just just the the, the showing of support and love for them in one room from that many people. I get it because I've been there and uh, it's it's just monumental. Um, but but to also but, you know, for me on my end, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of stress. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff. But then there's moments where I'm standing on stage playing um, a highway star, and I look, <laughs> and, and Lizzie Hale is on vocals, Jimmy Chalfont from Kicks is on drums, and Rachel Boland from Skid Row is on bass. And wow. I'm like looking around, going, "How the how the fuck does this happen? Like, how much fun is this? You know?" So just 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 there's just these moments that happen like that where it's just like it's it's unbelievable, or or seeing it on stage duetting, stop dragging my heart around with Lizzie Hale, is just like shit you know i mean it's 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 it checks a, it winds up ticking a lot of things off the bucket list inadvertently but also you know just the overall you know just the end result is just this great cause and it's such a positive vibe and everybody involved has such a good time now one must know that you are based in a music like center of nashville right yeah absolutely so absolutely. it's it's not easy to do a night like this but to 
to gather like some real names like you just listed off is yeah. easier to do in Nashville than let's say in, you know, I don't know, Raleigh, North Carolina. Or something, <laughs> it's you know? much easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, when I moved here, it was not like this. I mean, I moved here in 2003 to join a band like, you know, which is what a lot of us do. You know, we go somewhere to, to follow something or try something. And when I moved here in 2003, I didn't really, I, I never anticipated I would still be here in 2019. I'd, I'd been in Atlanta for three years before that. You know, before that, I actually grew up in central Illinois and went to college and everything else. And, uh, you know, I played in, you know, some some cover bands in college and, you know, uh, and, and before that, I mean, I started kind of playing at bars when I was 16, 17 years old. And, and just kind of, you know, you know, developing and, you know, cutting my teeth and that, and that kind of thing. But, you know, I moved here and, and it just wound up, I, I just got lucky, you know, I kind of got lucky in the sense that I got here really early when it was, you know, really affordable and it's still affordable in comparison to cities like LA or New York or stuff like that. But I mean, there's definitely been a lot of inflation. If I hadn't bought my first house here 12, 13 years ago. I don't know that I could afford to buy a home now, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. But, but, um, but you know, that means, or at least not as, you know, not, it'd be, a, it'd be a really small home, you know, on the outskirts, but, but it's, you know, I, I got fortuitous and got here and, and, uh, then a lot of people just started following suit. But if you look at the geography of Nashville and where it is in the States versus everything else, all of the labels have hubs here or had hubs here even before that, just because of the country music industry. Yeah. And actually the Christian music industry is really hubbed out of Nashville too, which that gets overlooked quite a bit. And while that's not my, my scene at all, um, they do, they move a lot of records and, you know, there's, 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 that's a whole thing that's outside of my vision, but it, it is a thing. And so if you look at the map, it's so much more affordable than your other major cities. The labels are all really located or based out of here for the most part now and it's a lot easier to hub out of to so many different places in the united states because it's a little more centrally located to everything you know and is that how you eventually were able to hook up with tom Kiefer? yeah it's it, I, yeah it's exactly you know how that happened and that was uh that was you know he i i got to know tom and i'd known him for a couple years and uh yeah, that was exactly how that happened. He, um, he, he, uh, him and I knew each other. How, how deep do you want me to go down this rabbit hole? Oh, uh, deep is, is what I love. Okay. Well, dude, I'll give you, I'll give you the whole story. So I had known other members of Cinderella before I knew Tom. Actually, I knew everybody in Cinderella before I knew Tom. Um, the band I moved here to join was this band called Bombshell Crush. And one night we were doing a gig here and the opening band, uh, had Eric, Brittingham from Cinderella. Oh, wow. His wife was actually the singer of the band. <laughs> and, uh, okay. They were open for us. Wow. And, uh, you know, I got to know Eric, you know, we hung out a couple times, barbecued, you know, had beers, you know, good, good dude. And, uh, then eventually there, there was a, a little side note. His, his band was looking for a utility player and my ex-wife's sister um, Christine fit the bill perfectly. So she wound up doing that, you know, she could play piano, she could sing, she could write, she could play violin. She could, I mean, she was just ridiculous. And so I, I kind of hooked them up and, uh, then I met Jeff cause Jeff eventually joined that band, Jeff Labar. 
Uh, and then I met um, Fred because he came to town for some Cinderella rehearsals. They were doing some festivals. Right, right. Then I eventually met Tom. And, I'll, dude, I'll, I'll, this is pretty funny. So I'm, I'm in my late 30s. I'm like, I was in my late 30s. I'm like 37 years old probably. I'm, I'm trying to do the math in my head. And you know how it is, man. It, there are so many amazing, talented musicians that we scratch our head, you know, at and go, man, how did this dude never, mm-hmm. you know, get a break? How did, you know, like mm-hmm. we, we just can't figure it out. And, you know, there's a lot of people that we just, you know, you just put your nose to the grindstone. And you work super, super hard for years and you hope you catch a break here and there. Because, I mean, I think, I think you know, 10 or 20 percent of its talent, you know. Uh, 10 or 20% of its work ethic. And the rest is, you know, just a little bit of luck and, you know, just yeah. being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So I, I got to this point in my life where, I mean, all I'd wanted since I was a little kid was to have some sort of quote unquote success, whatever that means and whatever that translates to. I don't, I don't know, but just, just some sort of a, you know, some way to be able to play music and make a living at it, you know, but not sacrifice what I wanted to do. Like I, you know, I've been offered auditions for a couple of country gigs, you know, just some stuff like that. That was like, there's no fucking way. Cause I, I couldn't imagine taking a gig, playing music that I didn't like, you know, even a bus gig doing arenas or whatever. And then 10 days or two weeks into it, suddenly realizing that, that my passion had just turned into my day job and I hated my fucking day job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So <clears throat> anyways, long story longer. I'm, I was working, doing high-end, you know, specializing in vintage guitar sales and high-end guitar sales for Guitar Center and running the vintage and platinum room in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got hooked up with Tom. He was looking for a guitar. We met that way. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and got to know each other. Well, so anyways, we had, you know, known each other for probably a year or so. And he comes into the store one day and he very casually mentioned in a conversation as I was helping him out with something, he goes, you know, he, he said, yeah, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I got this solo record coming out next year and I got to figure this out. I got to put a band together and I need to, um, you know, I need to do this and this and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, I just heard that I got to put a band together. And I very casually mentioned, I said, well, I said, if you need help putting a band together, feel free to hit me up. I said, I said, I'd be more than happy to to be a part of that, maybe help you assemble some musicians. Cause he made a comment about how overwhelmed he was. Cause he'd been playing with the same band for 30 years. Yeah. You know, he didn't right. know anybody. Right. You know, well a week, a week or two before that, I mean, literally maybe 10 days before that, I kind of had this epiphany for the first time in my life that, you know what, if I don't just, you know, it's all I ever wanted was to do something like that, to, to, to just kind of get my foot in the door and, you know, be able to go and, and, and do that for a living. You know, and I had my own bands. I mean, the Eastside Gamblers had already started going at that point, you know, and but it was just kind of, you know, I finally had this this mental thing where I just opened my eyes one day and said, you know what, if that never happens, whatever it is, I'm going to be cool. I've got a beautiful wife. I got a good life. I got a good family. I got a, my job's fine. You know, I got a house. I'm, I'm golden. I'm going to be good, you know, just as long as I don't, you know, compromise what it is that I want to do or, or, or compromise or do something not on my own terms, you know? So I'd said that to Tom didn't think anything of it. So a few days later, Tom gives me a call and, uh, he, he's like, Hey man, uh, I need to, 
I need to come in and look at this guitar or this amp. I'm sorry, I want to look at an amplifier. He's like, you know, he's got these old vintage Marshalls. I need to look at this amplifier and and see, you know, if I can find something that will save me from having to take these old Marshalls on the road. I'm like, yeah, dude, come on down. So he comes in and meets me real early in the morning. Or we're sitting there playing, or he's sitting there playing. I plug him in, he's playing. He's, he's a beast of a guitar player. And he goes, hey, uh, here, man. He goes, will you sit and play this for a second? Let me kind of stand back. I, want, I just want to listen to what this amp sounds like when I can get away from it. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I sat down and I just started jamming. I was probably playing UFO riffs or something like that. You know, who knows? But I'm, I'm just sitting there playing. He's like, he's like, killer. Yeah, sounds great. Blah, blah, blah. Cool. He goes, all of a sudden he goes, hey, man, where are the acoustics at? Walk over, start looking at acoustic <laughs> guitars. And I'm, I'm, you know, we sit down. We start, I start looking at acoustic guitars. And, uh, and I show him a couple things and we just kind of start playing and listening to a couple guitars together. We're in like this little side alcove room with all these really nice high end Gibsons and Martins. He slows, so he slides the door shut and he looks at me and he goes, Hey guys, I had a question. And I go, I go, what's that? And he goes, do they ever let you leave this place? And I kind of looked at him. I didn't know what, I didn't know what he meant. I go, well, dude, I clock out at five o'clock every day. It's, you know, he's like, no, he goes, like, if you want to go play some shows or something, could you? I was like, yeah, Absolutely. So that's how that all started. Then a couple weeks later, the East Side Gamblers are doing a show at a club here called 12th and Porter. And I got people coming up to me going, hey, Tom Kiefer's standing in the back of the room. Did you know that? The funny thing about Tom is in Nashville, he's been here since the mid-90s. But a, for for the whole time I've been here, a Tom Kiefer sighting was kind of like a Sasquatch sighting. Right. You know, right. he's a, he's, he's, I wouldn't say a total recluse, but he's, you know, a pretty fairly private guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I'd be like, Hey man, I was in home Depot the other day and I swear to God, I saw Tom Keeper, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But like, I was like, all right. So anyways, but he came and watched the band and then he called me up. Turns out what had happened was he knew this guy named Blair, Blair Daly's the guy's name. He's a, he's a songwriter in town. Tom's wife, Savannah, is a songwriter. They had known each other for years, and, and uh, Blair and Savannah had co-written some stuff together, both when they had publishing deals. Uh, I know Blair because of James Michael. Do you know who James is? Is he in Nikki Six's band? Yeah, he's the singer for Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James lived here for a few years, and um, James and I got to be fast friends. I met him like the day he got into town, just by chance at work and uh you know was literally over at his house grilling that night <laughs> and so like we got to be buddies and then james his main thing he's a producer and a songwriter i mean he's produced and written stuff for everybody from kelly clarkson to papa roach and all points in between you know um and he did like all the motley crew records from the saints of los angeles on until they retired okay, you know right right so Anyways, James and I got to be buddies. He had come and seen my band uh, play a few times. And, you know, my old band, Caprice, and then after that, you know, the early incarnations of the Eastside Gamblers. Blair and James had written together. Blair and I had met at one of James's parties. Blair had come to see my band play. Tom, after I evidently made that comment in work, you know, about, well, if you ever need any help, he got in his car, was leaving, and called Blair and and goes, hey, man, you know a guy named Tony Higby? And Blair goes, that guy would be perfect. 
evidently Blair and Tom had had a conversation a couple months earlier because Tom had to go do an acoustic thing for some radio promo stuff. And he was looking for another guitar player to come play acoustic and sing background vocals with him. And Blair was like, I know I know somebody, but it's just not coming to me. Yeah. So when he called oh, Tom, no. yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So when he called, so when Tom called him, Tom Blair's like, he would be perfect. And that set the whole thing in motion. So then, you know, Tom calls me, we get together and jam over at his house, run through some stuff, acoustic and sing together and play electric. And then he's like, I got to put a band together. I was like, I know, I think I can help you with that. And at first he, you know, he was into the rhythm section of the gamblers, but you know, through work stuff, it just wasn't going to work for the other two guys at that time. And we had a different drummer at the time and so on and so forth. But I knew Paul Simmons who was the original drummer in the Kiefer band, because he had gotten off the road with Reverend Horton Heat. He'd been on the road with him for, for years, but his brother got in a really terrible motorcycle accident and almost died, and Paulie got off the road so he could stay home and help him recover. And it was to the point where Paulie's like, man, I need a gig. So I get a hold of Paulie, who's one of the best rock drummers I've ever seen. And then Paulie knew Billy Mercer, um, the bass player and Billy had played with Ryan Adams and the Cardinals for years and was in all this stuff and, you know, would, would, was doing all the session work in Nashville and just a totally cool grooving, you know, old school bass player, flat wounds, foam under the strings, you know, huge pocket. And we all got in room and I think Tom expected to audition, you know, multiple drummers, maybe multiple bass players, all that stuff. We got in a room, we played three songs and Tom was like, holy shit. And that wound up being the core of the band, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I, we only, you and I met kind of online. Yeah, a little bit. I guess, I guess so. Through Twitter. And, and, uh, I did, I did notice that you were in Tom Kiefer's band. I think it's on your Twitter handle. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of, I have to be honest with you. Tom doesn't make it up here in Canada. I, I, very yeah, often we, we get up there. It, I feel like we get up there and we wind up doing, you know, a show or two a year. Yeah. So um, it's it, maybe we're away because like when I saw that on your handle, I was like, Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. Like yeah. I, I, I didn't know he was, he had gone solo when I think we kind of started chatting via Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and when we first started, uh, when we first started playing together, I mean, listen, man, I'll be honest with you. When I took that gig, I thought, you know what? He's one of my favorite front men from that period. I, I, I hold, a, you know, the 80s gets slagged on a lot. And listen, there's some obvious reasons in the hard rock world, you know, a lot of cases why it should. Um, even though I can, I'll, I'll openly admit to loving a lot of that stuff. I can even listen to something and just objectively be like, yeah, some of this is total shit, but for some reason I like it. But, um, you know, I felt like there was a handful of bands from that period that it doesn't matter if their records got made in the 80s, the 70s, or the 90s. It's all about the production value because at the end of the day, the songs were great, the performances were great, the musicians in the band were great, and they were just legitimate great rock and roll bands. And Cinderella absolutely falls into that category. I feel like if you took Night Songs and Mutt Lang produced that album in 1979, 
it's going to sound like a badass ACDC record. You know? oh, I, I've always said like Night Songs is as well as it did when it came out. It's still underrated. And absolutely. And and Tom Kiefer to me has always been. Um, like a, a, a Frankenstein of Steven Tyler meets Brian Johnson, like his yeah. voice, at least on that album. Like, I don't know what's going on with him or how, where he's approaching his stuff these days, but night songs, when it came out, I was like, Holy cow. And they were a band of their time in terms of, you know, how they presented themselves that when you look at, you know, the cover of night songs now, you, you know, I think a lot of people would go, why should I listen to this band? But yeah. listen to the fucking album because it's incredible. It's it what, really is. Yeah, I've gone it, off about it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great rock and roll record. I mean, I will I will say that about I'll say that about all four of the records, like all the way through Still Climbing. Right, know? right. I, I mean, um, are, I, I so yeah, I, I just wasn't able to. I, I have to admit, I, I I I didn't. I haven't listened to the the last Cinderella album. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a record that well, a lot of people didn't because. You know, they were that record came out and by all accounts at that point, if the labels saw a record come across their desk that was done by one of those bands yeah. from that period, they were not putting any money behind it and they weren't giving it a chance because they were throwing everything they could behind the grunge scene. Yeah. And uh, you know, and that record just got lost in the shuffle. I mean, dang, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't listen to that whole album until after I started playing with Tom. Right. Right. You know, and I think a right. lot of people didn't. I even worked. I was in college putting myself through school, managing a CD store uh, at the same time. I was like working, doing that, DJing at a rock radio station and playing in a cover band all at the same time while going to school full time. I really have no idea how I pulled that off. But I remember promo copies of Still Climbing coming through and I never listened to it. Right. You know, and uh, and now I listen to it. I'm like, man, there's some great, great songs on this album. But you know, and the production value is great too, just because of when it was made. But but yeah, I mean, there's there's a few of those bands. Those guys were just fantastic. I thought Tesla made great rock and roll records. Yeah, Kicks incredibly yeah. underappreciated. Oh, you know, yeah. there's there's so much so much. There is some great pure great stuff that came out of that period. You know, um, Kick, regardless kicks, of the uh, kicks one of the all time underrated. I think all time underrated oh, man, rock yeah, bands. Yeah, go go see them live. It is it is legit. We've done multiple shows with them in the last five or six years, and it is legit. But getting back to what I was saying, I I took that gig with Tom, and in my mind said, you know, this is probably going to be six to nine months at most. Yeah. A few runs of shows, and then you know he's going to support his solo record, and then he's going to go back to Cinderella because that's the easiest thing to do, and a lot to a lot of people that's the smartest thing. Yeah. And through different circumstances and over time and and in the you know, in the he you know, he kind of fell in love with the band and we we fell in love with, you know, all playing together. And uh, you know, we get done with that first year and all of a sudden it's hey, do you guys want to go out and play next year? Yeah, we would love to. Um, and it kept going and lo and behold, he's kind of thrown everything he has behind this. Um he's supporting it wholeheartedly. Um, and I'm on year seven this year, which I never expected. Do you guys make it across the pond at all to Europe to play some we of these did, festivals? We did a tour back in 2015 and we were over in Europe for almost a month. 
we didn't do any festivals, but we just did a whole run starting in the Eastern Bloc. Like we did Romania and Bulgaria, then we went to Russia and did a couple shows. And then oh, we flew wow. Scandin- yeah, and then we flew out of I, we did Moscow and and uh, St. <laughs> oh Petersburg. God. Wow. Yeah, and then we flew out of St. Petersburg into Stockholm um, and played uh, the Baser Medice there, which, I mean, I know you know all about that scene over there because you guys do a lot of great work over there, a lot of business. But that was just huge for me, getting to mm-hmm. fly to Stockholm. There's, I, that, that was my favorite city of the whole tour. But for me, you know, there's some, some of the music that has come out of that area oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. I mean, the helicopters in the backyard, babies alone, yeah. you know, just... I mean, I think you and I have probably talked about this before, but, but you know, Dragon is one of the baddest men in rock and roll. And, uh, you know, that just that whole thing over there, the music, the songs, the vibe, the city was so cool. I just I, I can't say enough good things about that. Plus, it was the best meal I'd gotten on the entire tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to say, um, being from Toronto, uh, Stockholm, I kind of feel is my second home. I'm the most comfortable in that city than any other city outside of my hometown. Yeah. So yeah. I love, I love Stockholm too. Yeah. I hope, I hope we get back over there. And I think, yeah. I think on this tour, you know, when we start working this record, I feel like it's an inevitability. It's probably only a matter of time. Um, but, but the, you know, it was such a great experience over there that last time. I mean, the only drawback was, of that whole run was we got over there, but Tom's wife, Savannah, who is um, one of the background singers and, you know, really a huge part of the project, both spiritually and everything else. She's, I mean, we're all family, really. She couldn't make it over. Her appendix ruptured on tour hmm. a couple weeks before that tour happened. Like literally we found out, we figured out she was having some, some really bad stomach pains and she went on stage and did a show, uh, and rode all the way back from Texas. And we figured out from talking to the doctors, her appendix had already ruptured and she stood on stage and sang a show with ruptured appendix in Texas. And then we bust all the way home and Tom took her to the hospital because oh she felt God. so bad. Oh my so God. Her recovery time was just a long time and she wasn't able to go to Europe with us. So we were down one background singer and we made the most of it, but you know, I definitely love to go back over there with, with her in tow. And, uh, you know, we, we did. We just, we just had an amazing time. I got to see a lot of countries I'd never been to before. The fans are unbelievable, and you know, um, yeah, it was. I, I I can't begin to say enough good things. And as far as Canada, you know, I, I think the first or second year we were out, we went up there and did hmm. a little run of like four or five shows. You know, anything from clubs to festivals. Like I know we did a. I think we played Rock Rock Pile in Toronto. Oh yes, I know that club. Yeah, Rock, Rock Pile East. I think yeah, is what it yeah. Was. You know, we did that, and we did um, you know, a couple of casinos and club dates, and then we right. did a we did a show with like Sammy Hagar and the Circle and um, uh, some stuff like that, and you know, that was a big outdoor show, and, and we had some fun on that. There's something weird about. It. I feel like there's a weird thing where Canada is like, if if you're if you're in the states, you're going into Canada, it's it seems to be a little tricky to navigate that or make that work. I, and, but I also feel like with Canadian bands, you barely ever see them play the States. And from what I understand, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it, you would think that the music between the two countries would be more integrated than it is. No, it is not there. There is definitely a, a, a big divide. Yeah. Um, and it's, and that, I, yeah, it's too bad. There's, 
yeah, and there's some Canadian bands that I've I love and I've absolutely loved for years. In fact, I, mean, I saw your post about Big Wreck. Yeah, I was surprised actually, to be honest with you, that you knew Big Wreck. Dude, uh, I, I let me let me tell you about Big Wreck for me. So, I, in the late '90s, I was in college, and I was going through my semi-brief prog phase you know <laughs> okay let's just let's just say that and uh you know i mean i'm, I'm still in all the i mean I, I mean i respect a lot of these bands i'm into all the classics like yes and rush and stuff like that um but i was listening to dream theater at the time those that first those first couple records that really blew up for them i got into and it was just different it was something new and i was always looking for something new and so i went to see dream theater at the house of blues in chicago and uh it was the Falling Into Infinity tour. So it'd been like the third tour with their core lineup, you know. So I go up there to see them, and there's this opening band that I have never heard of called Big Wreck. I saw the name. I just assumed they were like a Chicago band, like a local, you know. They've been put on the bill. I walked in the door right as they went on stage, and they just took my head off. I was like, who is this? I mean, <laughs> this, this guy up there who's got this voice like a young Chris Cornell meets Robert Plant just playing the absolute shit out of the guitar, and it just sounded like a freight train, but it was very, very musical. It wasn't it – was, it was, to me, it was musical without being um, snobby. It, what, they weren't a prog band at all. And that – they were incredible, and that crowd was so – rough on them i was standing in the back of the room and there's these guys on the barricade who were just after about four or five songs were just berating them in between every song for no fucking reason why is that it's in america only that that happens it was so weird it's like these guys were up on the barricade uh like you suck get off the stage dream theater you know just doing this shit and ian's up there taking it way better than most people would and it goes on for a few songs, and in between songs, he's tuning his guitar, and they're, they're just doing this. And I, I hear him look down, and he, he's on the mic, and he goes, man, did I do something to piss you guys off? Like, seriously, what is the deal? And they didn't even give him a response. He just started yelling more shit. Yeah, yeah, you that's know? how it goes. And he, go, and, he go, and he looks at him, he goes, and, and this is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard uttered at a rock concert in my life. He looks down at him, he goes, seriously, man, you don't. You don't see me knocking the dick out of your mouth while you're trying to make a living. <laughs> and those guys, it just, it just propelled them even further. And it yeah. got worse and worse and worse. And they're like, right before they played their last song, he looks down at me and goes, man, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I'm a pretty big guy. He goes, <laughs> he goes if I come off this stage, I'm going to fucking hurt you. And they just kept going. And he goes, oh, whatever, fuck you. This is the last song anyways. And they played it. And they were fantastic. So... Fast forward six months later, the record's out. The Oaf was a pretty solid active rock hit in the States. That song was getting spun a lot. Yeah. And um, they were, you know, doing pretty well. And, and the music store I worked at, the CD store I worked at in college, we'd get this calendar for this club up in the Quad Cities, which is about a 45-minute drive. It's called Rock Island Brewing Company, Ribco for short. And Big Rec was playing there. I was like, holy shit, Big Rec's playing there on a Wednesday night. So I drive up there with some buddies of mine. We go there, walk into the, the live room in the club. There's nobody in there. There's no band set up. I'm like, what the fuck? Did the show get canceled? They're like, oh no, they're in the they're in the garden out back, the atrium. 
So I walk out. They got this giant stage set up, big production brought in, this, the whole nine yards. Probably I never knew it was back there. Probably hold a thousand people plus. Opening bands playing, which sidebar was Dax Nielsen's band at the time. He was now a cheap trick with his dad. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of were this Medeski Martin Wood kind of a jam bandy thing. So they're playing, but I'm not kidding you. I don't know if there were 20 people there. Yeah. And I look over, and there's all the guys in, in Big Wreck, and they're standing there just drinking. Yeah. And and I'm like, what the fuck? And I walked up and introduced myself, and they were super nice. And then I said something about that that Chicago show, and Ian just immediately goes. Jesus, was everybody at that show? Like, he was embarrassed about it. Like, clearly it had been a, it'd been a topic. And, uh, you know, talk for a minute. They go up and play, and they were drunk. Oh. They were great, yeah, but they were drunk. Like, it clearly was just like, what the fuck, you know? They're just trying to get through it. <laughs> and it was one of those situations, I call it field of dream booking, where a promoter books a show, doesn't want to put any money into advertising, so nobody shows up. But in their mind, they're like, oh, well, if I just book this show, show up. <laughs> right, know? right. If I book it, they will come. <laughs> and, um, you know, so he, I go up, I'm watching them play, and then in between every song was like these scattered golf claps of, yeah, woo, dream, you know, it was like, like just clapping, and, but it was, it was rough. And, but they stood up there, they played that whole album. Yeah, they did a they did a big sugar cover in the middle of the set. Of oh, Wild you, Ox. you know they Big Sugar Ox too. Fuck, I love Big Sugar, but but wow. yeah, they did Wild Ox Moan right in the middle of their set, and Ian just sang it like an angel, and um, you know they were great. But the best part of that show, the most spinal tap thing I've ever witnessed at a fucking concert in my life, is they're on stage. They're about two thirds of the way through that set. They're getting the scattered the scattered claps and the woos. And they finish this song up, and all of a sudden you hear, and I'm like, what the hell is that noise? And Ian just looks around. I see him looking around the stage, and he goes, it was a cricket that had gotten near one of the instrument microphones, and it was blasting out of the PA system. So literally, Ian is up there, and he just starts headbutting the microphone. And laughing. And he turns around. I hear him trying to look at the band and go, are you fucking kidding me right now? And he walks up to the microphone and he looks out at the audience and goes, I know, judging by the attendance tonight, that you would not guess this, but I have a $100 bill in my wallet that I will gladly give to the person who brings me the head of that fucking cricket. <laughs> and they kept doing their set. There's crew guys up on stage trying to find this fucking cricket. Wow. It was just, I'd never, I, I will never forget that for as long as I live. But, you know, they're one of those bands that I followed and I followed him because, I mean, He's, I mean, he's, he's special, you know, there's, there's something about that dude. He's just such a musical guy and the band is great. And, you know, so when they got back together, I was really excited. And, have you, uh, have you followed his other, like his Thornley, his solo yeah, Thornley yeah, stuff? I've got both those Thornley albums. Right. And, uh, you know, our mutual friend, Nick Raskulinix, I believe did the second one. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, we've worked with five producers and four of them have either produced a big wreck album or a Thornley album. Uh, yeah. Matt DiMatteo did that first big rec album and, yeah. uh, Garth Richardson did Grace Street, Gracie Street or whatever. Grace that, Street. Grace, yeah. Grace Street. And Eric Ratz, I think he did the two albums before that. So yeah, we have very many mutual friends and people we've worked with and even yeah. behind the scenes stuff. It's like, I've only met Ian once and he was in the, in my kitchen 
in the beginning of a house party we had years ago. And then that was it. But uh, we have played shows together and he did give us a shout out from the stage once. So that was very nice of him. Absolutely. But, you know, I yeah. mean, you're asking about the Canadian music thing. Yeah. So when, I, when I was in college, I, you know, I was I was went to Western Illinois University and I had this little shoebox apartment above a shoe store on the on the town square. It was great. Just a great college town. But it's one of those places where when the university session was in, the population more than doubled. You know, it's like a ghost town when college was out. But right. I went to school there. And the cable provider there, for whatever reason, in the middle of the heartland of Illinois, we did not get MTV, but we got much music. Oh, wow. Which is so random. And my ex-wife, same thing. She was uh, born and raised in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and it was the same situation for her. So there I am in college, and I'm, you know, this is like the mid to late 90s, and I'm getting exposed to these bands like... Danko Jones and wow. Big Red and uh, Big Sugar and Sloan, you know, and, wow. and the Matthew Good Band and uh, stuff like this. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, look, like, like just such great rock bands. And I'm just like, how are people not hearing about this here? You know, I, I, I mean, there's, there's just so there's, I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you guys have plenty of garbage just like we do, sure. but there's some really fantastic, you know, musical bands from Canada, the one thing I really admire about that is, like, when you when you look at a lot of active rock bands in the states, there's a lot of run together. You know, there's a lot of bands that sound kind of like other bands. You know, mm-hmm. if you put, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, there's a few of them that if you put them on bills or they toured together, I would not know <laughs> who I wouldn't know who did what songs it, you, started playing them. Right. But with but if you look at some of the Canadian rock stuff that was coming out, especially at that time period, man. I, everybody had such a distinct, different thing. There's not another band in Canada that sounds like Danko Jones. There's not another band in Canada that sounds like Sloan. There's not another band in Canada that sounds like Big Wreck. Big Sugar had their own thing. The Tea Party had their own thing. I mean, there's just, you know, all these bands that just very distinct, very musical, very original sounding stuff, very diverse, you know, and I, I love that. And, um, you know, I wish more of those bands were getting more, more exposure over here. Wow, that's that's amazing! I had no idea you knew so much about Canadian rock bands. That's amazing. Well, I'm just I, I'm a music nerd. I tend to well, I, he, I, I tend to latch on to stuff and look for stuff. Even James LeBray from uh, Dream Theater is from Toronto. So, you know what? I knew that at one point, and it, I I want to say it was because. Uh, I, one of my best friends is this guy named Reed Dern who works for a company called Pyrotech. He does pyro for a living. He's been doing it for years. But he's from Toronto, and he knew James wow. somehow from Toronto. I'd almost forgotten that until you said that, but that's right. That's yeah, right. yeah. Uh, wow, that's that's uh, that's something that's something that I never knew going into this discussion with you. We'd end up talking about Thornley. That's funny. Well, yeah. Uh, it's great. I mean, you're right. Big Wrecker, like, incredible. I mean, Thornley is a monster on guitar, and you're right. He's got this plant Cornell kind of vibe to him, vocal-wise. Everything you said was on point. So, yeah, absolutely. I really do love the Grey Street album that he did with Garth, and and yeah. uh, I, I thought that was really, really well-crafted. I, I thought, that the, at least from the state side, I don't know what the perception is up there, but from the state side, he was. it's funny about that record. I felt like he was just starting to make headway 
and his name was starting to get around in circles down here in a long overdue fashion as kind of a guitar hero because his playing is pretty next level. Um, but he's never, ever made an album that was just all about, look how great of a guitar player I am. He's always been about the songs. The but songs. There's, you know, some, there's some really monster guitar hero moments on a couple of those previous records after they got together or got back together for the reunion. And then he comes out with this album with a completely different production that sounded like they'd been listening to the outfield and a bunch of other 80s bands. Yeah. You know, as far as some of the delays and stuff like that, and just the guitar tones. And it was the most anti-guitar hero album you could make you know, at that point, but yeah. they're just great tunes. And some, some of my friends, they, they couldn't figure out how to take it or digest it. And I'm just like, man, you got to listen to it a few times, but there's some great music on those records yeah, or so, on that record. So, 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 um, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on. First of all, yeah. so you have a new Tom Kiefer album, uh, about to be released. Tell me about like everything that's gone into doing that. Or is it, or is it just too soon to talk about? Uh, I can, I can talk about some of it. Um, <laughs> you know, the album, uh, it, it was, it's really cool. Cause I mean, the Nashville thing for years, the, the norm, uh, which has always been a bizarre thing to me. And it definitely stems from the country world is that, uh, you know, it's almost like you have your session players and then you have your touring players and never the two shall cross. I've never fucking understood it. It's not the way I, I was brought up, and it's not, you know, that's not that's not a rock and roll thing. You know, it's very much a country thing, but, you know, it's it's amazing how much of that happens here still to this day. Right. But with Tom, he's, you know, he's from Philadelphia. Um, that's where Cinderella really was from. And and that's, you know, he, he's of the same mentality, the old school rock thing. And as we went out and we did these, you know, shows over the last six years and bonded as a band and went in and tracked a couple of tunes for the deluxe re-release of the way life goes, his first solo album. Mm -hmm. We went and tracked all that stuff together. Cause that record was done before we ever put the band together. Um, we kind of got a, a sense and a feel for what everybody was bringing to the table. And that was kind of a litmus test and the test went smashingly well. So, you know, we, we became a band over the years and we, uh, you know, did these, shows and we went in the studio we made an album and and it sounds like it sounds like everything that we've worked up to up to this point i'm really really excited about it it's a very a very cool very musical very diverse album and uh, obviously when you put out an album then you gotta promote it you gotta yeah. get out there so i'm gonna expect that tom we're gonna see a lot more of tom Kiefer while we are traveling out on the road. Yeah, yeah. Um I hope so. I mean, god, how about we play how about how about we wind up on some shows together? How nice would that be? But that that would be luxurious for me. I would yes. have a great day or a few great days in a row <laughs> yeah, if that yeah, happened. I would, I, I would love that. What I know from the albums coming out like late summer is what I'm hearing at the moment. Um it looks like our touring schedule really ramps up at the very end of july beginning of august i mean right now we've got a couple of festivals we're doing um you know in june a couple of scattered festivals we're headlining uh and then we are going to go into rehearsals probably you know a few weeks after that and uh start kind of putting together what's going to be the new set with some new material and just kind of get everything ready to rock you know and uh try to try, try to just you know 
it's, I, it's, I'm really excited about it. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't say enough about it. So we, we put, we put a lot of time, a lot of hard work and a lot of hours into this. And I think I'm very pleased with the end result. I think, I think everybody else is going to be too. It's a very, it's, it's definitely, we put our own stamp on it, but it's very clearly Tom Kiefer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now when Tom's busy doing Cinderella and I'm assuming that's still going strong, they have, not they he's kind of thrown all of his eggs into this basket they oh, wow. haven't done a show for man i i'm i'm just doing rough math here i want to say they haven't done a show for maybe 4 years oh um, okay really, yeah he really very you know he's been fairly public about it he really has gone out of his way over the last you know 4 5 6 years to work on branding his solo career um, and, and building that up, uh, I can't, I can't speak as to the inner workings of, right. of Cinderella and what is and what isn't happening. I just right. know that everybody in that band is doing other stuff. You know, uh, Jeff is a cook, like a chef. Um, Eric has been playing bass for Brett Michaels for the last couple of years. And, um, Fred, the, the drummer, Fred Curry, mm-hmm. um, he's based out of LA and he's been doing music like bed music for shows, I think on CBS, if I remember right, like he's, you know, and he's really into that. He's really good at it. And, um, you know, he really seems to enjoy that. So, you know, but every time we're out on the West coast, Fred always shows up. We always see him. He's super supportive. He's very kind. And, you know, we've done shows with Brett Michaels and gotten to see and hang out with Eric and so on and so forth. So, so it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. 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 You know, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, Tom's just really been, you know, putting a lot of work into this chapter of his life and, you know, really seems to be enjoying it. I mean, I, I, like I said, I can't speak to anything beyond that, but yeah. that's just, you know, kind of what's been going on. Well, I was going to say that if like, you know, you do, when you do have some downtime, you've got these side gamblers and you guys just put out an EP. It was produced by Nick Raskolinics and yep. I, I'm going to assume Nashville. You guys are both based in Nashville. Uh, what is the status of the Eastside Gamblers right now as we are on the eve of a Tom Kiefer album? And uh, how was it making that EP, especially with Nick? Man, well, the status of the Eastside Gamblers is this. We uh, we did some shows over the summer, um, got out a little more than we had been, which was great, took advantage of the downtime. And, um, you know, I was in the Eastside Gamblers before I ever started playing with Tom and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a balancing act for sure. Only because, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the thing about that is, yeah, it, it makes it a lot trickier to find those moments and find those times and work that scheduling to be able to do stuff with the East side gamblers. But at the end of the day with Tom, and with playing with Tom, it's definitely brought a lot more exposure and attention to the band. So at the end of the, yeah. you know, we're, so we're, we're, we're definitely winning there. It's, it's gotten us out there and, and gotten us, you know, some attention and the guys in the band are super cool and very understanding about it. We've all got other stuff we do, you know, on the side in life or otherwise yeah. and keep ourselves super busy. But, you know, when we get in a room together, it's, it's all about the East side gamblers. And, uh, we absolutely have a blast making music together and uh, play together and just, you know, and doing that thing. So, uh, but it's, you know, as far as leading into when I get real busy with Tom, you know, I'm sure the touring 
it's going to be real heavy and dense, at least for the first few months with the Kiefer record. And then we'll see what happens. But I've always been able to kind of knock on wood, you know, look at his schedule and find those nooks and crannies in between where the gamblers can be doing stuff and getting out there and keeping stuff going. I mean, right now we actually just got together for the first time uh, last week uh, since our last shows to um, get in a room and start writing some new material. And, uh, you know, so we're going to start demo some new material over the course of the next, of the coming months, probably. And so I'll probably start sending that stuff to Nick like I did last time. And then Nick will listen to it and be like, I want to track this, 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 and this. And I think, you know, the tentative plan right now is to try to get back in with Nick and do, do the next thing with him. Another EP or, or we've always done, we've always done EPs. I'm Mm -hmm. not opposed to doing a full length. I'm really not. Uh, I guess there's something very, I don't know. We're definitely an indie band. Um, I mean, Nick definitely, you know, produces us in, you know, a much more, I, I don't want to use the stereotypical indie manner because it's not. He's just, it's he, he does the Nick thing, which is just a big, massive rock thing. And I love it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just the indie aesthetic of, you know, there's a lot of those indie bands who are out there slugging away, touring, doing clubs, stuff like that. And, you know, I always thought it was cool when the helicopters would put out a an EP or a maxi single with three or four songs and, you know, or maybe do a, a pair up with Lucifer or somebody like that, you know, like a split EP and, you know, so we we've, we've always kind of done the EP thing. We've got three EPs out, but I'm not opposed to doing a full length record as long as the material is super solid front to back. We have the time to put into it to make it a great album, and um, you know, it, it it works. So we'll see. At the very least, we'll do another EP. But yeah, maybe we'll do a whole record. We'll see what happens. I I really enjoyed that last EP, the East Side Gamblers uh, last EP. It was it was it was great, and uh, I look forward. I really do hope you guys keep putting out these well whatever eps or lps or whatever um and um even maybe we can cross paths via the east side gamblers if not with through tom Kiefer. dude um, absolutely I, I would i would love we would love to do that you know if you guys are dipping down to the states and you know need a need an opening band for some shows hit us up because that would be such a fun bill to pair up on and uh you know, yeah, the, um, we want to. We want to. We just came back from the west coast of America. We hadn't been in America for a few years, so I think the the plan is to hit America more and more. And uh, love to go like kind of deeper south and at least you know go hit Atlanta, hit Nashville. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, like yeah. I remember back in the early two thousands, um, you guys played in Nashville. At a club called The End, it's a little club. I think you were supporting. I think We Sweat Blood had just come out, and um, I was in my band that I moved here to join, Bombshell Crush, at the time. And I think we were down in Atlanta playing a show, and I didn't get to go see you guys at the end. And I was really, I was really bummed. But I was like, Oh man, those guys are, those guys are doing great. I'm sure they'll be back through. I'll catch. I'll get to catch them next time they come through. And I just literally got to see you guys for the first time last year when I flew out to L.A. to meet to meet my buddies Don and Ace, and then we made a a, a weekend out of it. You know, I mean that was down. that was so much fun to see. Well, when I saw you guys at the San Diego show the next night, I was like, oh shit, I gotta. These guys were here the night before. I gotta fucking step it up. So it was <laughs> it was a really. I was like. 
I was doing like shit for the back of the room, meaning you guys, basically for you guys, like Don, Ace, and you. It was really for the three of you because uh, I, I had to step up my game. And, you know, Don being a comedian, all the banter, I had to like keep up my game for Don almost. It was like almost like a private show. I was like, but I love that. I, I love the, the pressure of that. But seeing you guys yeah. there the second night, I was like, all right, okay, yeah, we, we got to step it up. It was so good. And you guys even you guys like threw some curveballs in the set I didn't see coming. And and Don even made the comment. We were we were at the Viper room the night before. I remember I was standing there with Don and I think Dizzy Reed was there and, and I think Dell James was there and some other guys, you know, kind of from that G and R camp. And yeah. You know, that room was that room was pretty you know, <laughs> by rock and roll standards, it was pretty star studded that night. <laughs> yeah. And and Don's standing there and he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, Jesus Christ, he goes I'm the comedian. This guy does more crowd work than me. And he was loving it. He was eating it up, you know. I, I love it when Don and Jim, they come out and, and it's, yeah, I got to step. I love it because I get to step up my game and I, I really get like to do that. That that Those sets were paced awesome. They were great sets. The the the, the song selection was killer. I oh, love thanks, it. Man. You know, you guys really, you go back to the early stuff. You know, like the the pre Born Alliance stuff, and you're you're dragging out some of those those real early gems, some of the more punky stuff, and uh, you know, I mean, there's I, I can front to back pretty much every one of your records. I, there's everything you guys did. So when you when you drag a, a song out, I'd be like, you know, some of those earlier cuts, I'd just be like, holy shit, I can't believe they're they're doing Mango Kid. This is fucking great, you know? Oh, wow, man, thank um, you so much. Absolutely, man. So, you know, trust me, I, I'll like, 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 I, I love, I love it all, man. I, I remember sitting there going, I wonder, I wonder if they'd ever do a tour. Like if there's going to be an anniversary come up where they'll just do borderline front to back or they'll, you know, <laughs> do some shit like that. So yeah, like, like, trust me, man, if you, if I, if I walk into the club and you guys are doing Caramel City, I'm going to lose my shit. So, <laughs> yeah. We haven't done that in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> some great stuff. Oh, all of it. And the new record. Sense fantastic every record is fantastic man you guys are do such a consistent output of just solid rock and roll and great songs and that's what it's all about you know yeah thank you thanks a lot i i, I bought it on itunes and you know oh. ipod at midnight when it came out you oh know, shit so. man well i gotta well, get you a record i gotta get you a record yeah absolutely well dude the uh i mean I, listen, I love paying for music, so I got no problem. I bought, you know, I bought the new Backyard Babies the second that came out. Oh, a yeah. great record. I bought the new Wild Hearts album. Yeah. And the second it came out, you know, another just fantastic, completely underrated band. Yeah. Uh, in the States, anyways, you know. So, yeah. I mean, they're like UK, like kind of sweethearts, too, you know, like they're, I mean, they're in Europe, they do way better than in North America for sure. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen the wild hearts a couple times over here. Actually my old band, uh, bombshell crush opened for the wild hearts in a little club in Atlanta when they were, uh, warming up there in a couple of warm up club days before they went out and supported the darkness over here when the darkness had blown up. Right. Right. And, uh, they were fantastic. I mean, literally they, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a packed room by any stretch of the imagination, but there were some diehard fans there and they kind of did their main set. And then people just started shouting out songs and they just started playing them. I mean, at one point 
my brother's standing next to me and he screams out sky babies, which is like a 13 and a half minute B side with about a thousand riffs. And they just counted it right in and played it. I was floored. Wow. You know? <laughs> um, we could never do that. <laughs> uh, dude. Right. I, who can? That's just yeah. that's asinine. And I, I actually, um, I went and saw them in New York city, uh, kind of a, a, you know, a boy's sabbatical, like the, like the Danko shows were, but it was me and my brother and my guitar player at the time, this guy named Corey Rizzoni, um, flew up to New York cause they were doing a couple of shows up there. It was right after I'd finished doing chemotherapy. And, uh, so it was kind of a celebration cause my cancer was in remission Right. and we went up there and they went on really late and we drank way too many cellos and I got really drunk and this, a similar situation happened, but somebody, I think somebody screamed danger lust which is another one of those Riffarama multi-minute B-sides, you know, <laughs> that they have so many of. And the bass player at the time was Scott Sorry. And and Ginger looks over at Scott and says, like, I don't know that one. And my drunk ass raised my hand was like, I know that fucking song. And, and Scott heard me. And he looks out and he goes, you know it? And I was like, yeah. And Ginger, Ginger gets on the mic and goes, you know the song? And I'm like, I'll play that fucking song right now. And it's on... <laughs> It's on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'll never forget getting up there. And I, I mean, because the thing is, a lot of people don't know about me, Danko. I've been a bass player since I was 11 years old. Guitar is my second instrument. Oh, and, really? <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I, I mean, like, I've been playing guitar in Nashville for so long now. The band I moved here to join, Bombshell Crush, I was a bass player in that band. I started fronting a band and playing guitar when my brother moved here because he's also a bass player. That's when we started Caprice. And that had been probably in 2005, maybe early 2006. I've been doing it for so long that people in Nashville, most of them have forgotten I was ever a bass player, even though I have like a couple of SVT rigs in storage and a P bass and a J bass and, you know, wow. whatever. Oh, wow. So I get up there and uh, Ginger then recognizes me because he we had met before when we did that show in Atlanta. But when he saw me in New York, my hair was just starting to grow back. I had maybe a half inch of hair. Right. And, um, he just looked at me, he's, he's like, Tony Igby in that, in that, you know, accent of his. And, you know, he looks at me and he goes, you know this, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he turns around, looks at me right before the song starts. And I'll never forget. He just at me, he goes, you know, this could end very badly. Right. That's looked at <laughs> I, go, I go, just play the fucking song. <laughs> Listen, in my defense, I'm, I may have, flatted a couple notes on the intro and you can hear it clear as day on youtube once i got settled in i did a pretty admirable job all things considered wow <laughs> but uh but that was kind of a highlight moment i mean imagine you know of your, of your life you know imagine having one of those bands that you just really love and admire respect and you, you know had, had very little or no interaction with them and all of a sudden you're on stage jamming with them that's amazing so, yeah you know i actually i had something very similar happen six months later at a club in nashville with sloan no way. <laughs> Sloan was playing in Nashville at the exit in. And my, um, I was there with my then wife and her brother. And we were all Sloan fans, you know? I mean, dude, I've worn Navy Blues out. I love that record. Wow. Uh, and they had some guy get up on stage that they knew from the crowd to play drums so the drummer could come out and sing one of his tunes and front it. And they did it. And then the bass player, I, forgive me, what's what's that bass player's name again? Do you remember? Uh, Chris Murphy? Yeah, Chris Murphy yeah. walks up to the microphone and goes, goes, man, that looks like a lot of fun. Does anybody know how to play bass? And my brother-in-law at the time goes, he does. And I'm like, deer in headlights, Newcastle in my hand. He goes, you want to come up and play bass on a song? And 
They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. So I go up there and somehow I managed to pull off. She says what she means. Wow. While, while Chris is up there like doing jump kicks like David Lee Roth on the Fair Warning Tour and, you know, front the band. And it was it was it was a blast. I, I remember very little about that. But from what I understand, I, I played it OK. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, too. Wow, yeah. that's great. Yeah, we uh, we we're neighbors uh, in our space. Like we're next door to them. Yeah, really. Yeah. So they always text JC, our bass player, when we start jamming, going, "When are you done?" (laughs) (laughs) And there's been some things that have happened because of that, but it's all good. They're all we're all friends. We've been we've known each other for years. So good, good. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it's just that's just a a sign of the diversity of the rock and roll music that's, yeah. that's in Canada, you know? So, yeah. uh, um, wow. yeah, I, it's, it's just, it's great. So yeah, you and I, you know, clearly we're into a lot of the same stuff and there's a whole mountain of parallels there. So absolutely. It's, it's wild to, to, to find all this about out about you, but I guess it seems like you and I getting to know each other was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I've been a big fan of the band for years, and you know, it's it's super cool that we got to cross paths via via the the wonders of social media. But we and, know um, so many people, and we we're we know all the same people almost. I don't know Tom. Yeah. <laughs> that that you know Tom. I don't know Tom, but man, it's just amazing that yeah, like lots of similar people in our lives. It's, it's wild. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, just just a couple degrees in any direction for the mm-hmm. most part. It sounds mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, this has been great, Tony. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you were on the podcast. I Thank s- you so much for having me, man. I'm, I'm a big fan. of I love listening to the podcast. and I learn a lot about a lot of musicians that, that you interview that I didn't know. And it, it's exposed me to some guys. And yeah. But uh, well, cool, man. All right, Danko. Thank you for everything. Thanks, Tony. And uh, enjoy the rest of your morning. I will, I will. I got another cup of coffee and some breakfast about to be made, so. Perfect. I'll be good to go. Okay. All right, man. Talk to you later, boss. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Desperate all the time.